Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Perry, and today we're visiting with Kate Williams, the CEO of 1% for the Planet. Hi, Kate. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. It's uh, really exciting to have this opportunity to speak with you today and to hear about the great work you guys are doing as a hub, a nexus between a whole bunch of for-profit companies and a whole bunch of nonprofits uh, who are all working to help create a better world. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. And I would add individuals to the mix also because we're connecting them in as well. Beautiful. Yes. So um, let me uh, say by way of introduction that Kate Williams uh, is CEO of 1% for the Planet, as I mentioned, a global movement inspiring businesses and individuals to support environmental nonprofit solutions through annual membership and everyday actions. The network of more than 3,000 members in more than 40 countries gave over $25 million to environmental nonprofits last year. During her tenure, which is 2015 through the present, Kate has led significant growth in network scale and impact, as well as deep work on best practices for giving strategies and partnership development and in 2020, she and her team developed a new strategic plan with a North Star goal of becoming the most recognized global environmental community. Kate earned a Bachelor of Arts at Princeton University, where she majored in history, and a Master of Science at the MIT Sloan School of Management, where she focused on organizational systems. She has served on several nonprofit boards, currently Blue Cross Blue Shield of Vermont, and Shelburne Farms. Kate is a master's distance runner, we'll have to ask you about that, and kitchen gardener. And she lives in Vermont with her husband and two children who are, uh, as we were just discussing before beginning our, our recording, are uh, young adult children similar in, in age to my own. Um, so we'll, we'll chat a bit about that transition to college and everything with uh, all that's going on in the world right now. But uh, Kate, what a joy to have this opportunity to visit with you. And I thought as a, as a way to start, um, if you might uh, summarize what you guys are up to at 1% one for, 1 for the planet and um, you know, how you're making a big difference in, uh, in, in the world right now. Yeah, and I can also first say that basically master's distance runner means I'm just like an old distance runner. <laughs> just okay. a nice way of saying that. Um, <laughs> So at 1% of the planet, um, you know, what we're doing right now is being thrown away by how many members are stepping forward, how many companies are stepping forward to become members. So, you know, even in this really challenging, crazy, unusual year, we've had a growth in membership. So even those numbers that I sent you that you used in the bio, we actually now have more than uh, close to 4,000 business members. Um, and uh, just over 600 individual members, you know, right around in that ballpark. So, you know, lots of strong growth. And, and basically what that means, so what, what it means when we have a member is that they're a company who says we're committing to giving 1% of our annual sales. So annual, every year, they're doing this every year, to environmental nonprofits. And our team uh, supports those companies in figuring out companies and individuals in figuring out where to allocate their giving um, and how to do it in a thoughtful, strategic way, which is actually can be challenging. I'm sure we've all felt like overwhelmed at times, and um, and so we we try and help 
guided into a strategy so that you can feel like, great, I'm doing my part. I'm, I'm giving in an aligned way with my brand or with my values or both. Um, and then we certify that giving at the end of the year. And then we also vet and approve the amazing nonprofits um, in our network that are the recipients of the giving. Which I have to throw in there, uh, the Why on Earth community is now one of the uh, uh, vetted and qualified nonprofits eligible for some of that giving through the network. And we're really excited about that, that connection and partnership. Likewise. Yeah. So this, I mean, these are amazing numbers and I know some of the businesses that are part of the 1% for the planet ecosystem are themselves um, quite large in, in size and scope. I, I, I believe uh, Patagonia, for example, is a member and I understand, you know, they're closing in on something like a billion dollars a year in uh, annual sales and I don't know their personnel count, but uh, you know, they've got quite a number of employees. And so through all of these organizations, it's amazing because you're also reaching tens or, or hundreds of thousands of uh, employees and individuals connected to these different organizations. Yeah. And that really nails it. I mean, one of the things that we believe in and that we're seeing the power of right now is work effect. And, and that's like one of the great things about 1% for the planet is not only is each company making this individual commitment that's important to them and that's part of sort of how they implement their, you know, their change in the world or part of how they do it. Um, but also each of these companies, you know, is a node that then is extending the story out, is extending the opportunity out. And that's one of the reasons we want individual membership is we wanted to create just that way for people to say, hey, not only am I going to buy 1% for the planet products when I can, but I also want to give my 1%. And so, you know, we've really seen this amazing, um, you know, power of the network expanding globally. And it, it has in the, you know, for this year, for example, it's just has felt like this, you know, really powerful momentum that grows the awareness of our brand, which then grows the interest in joining, which then grows the awareness of our brand. And it just is this beautiful cycle of goodness for the planet. Well, this is so great. I just, I'm, I want to throw it right out there as a call to action for any of our audience who might want to join uh, 1% for the planet at the individual level. Um, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? And, and you know, how, how uh, in, involved or cumbersome of a process is that? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for calling that out. It's pretty easy. Um, you know, our, our, the, our belief is that everyone has a 1%. And so for our individuals, the way we set it up is that you go to 1%fortheplanet.org and you can click on the, you know, the um, join um, button and it will take you to a page where you can sign up and essentially you tell us what's your 1%. Maybe it's 1% of your income, maybe it's 1% um, of, you know, something else, but we want you to set a commitment that you want to be held accountable to. And then we become your partners in either helping you identify who you want to give to um, and then certainly in at the end of the year, certifying that giving. And what we've heard from our members who we talk to and we do surveys and stuff like that, what we've heard from these individual members is like, thank you. This is so helpful because either I felt overwhelmed, so I wasn't doing anything. I felt kind of paralyzed. And when you break it down to your 1%, it's like, okay, I can do something. And then tomorrow I can do something else and it can all add up. 
So, um, so we help break it down and then we help you to feel like you're being, you know, accountable to what you've committed to. Um, and one thing I will say for individuals is we really believe that this should be accessible to all people. And so it's not just if you have, if your 1% is a lot of dollars, it's, it's truly democratic. So if you are a college student and you essentially have debt and not income, you can give volunteer hours. You can give your 1% in the form of your time. That's not the case for companies. We have sort of a different breakdown for them, but for individuals, we really want everyone to participate. So, you know, right now in our network, we literally have teenagers giving 1% of their babysitting money and high net worth individuals giving 1% of their high net worth. And um, they're all equal contributors to our planet because it's for everyone. It's their 1%, which is the beautiful part of it. Yeah. I really, I really like how inclusive it is in that a, a percentage allows anyone to participate um, in a meaningful way. And uh, clearly uh, those of us working in the environmental space, I think are developing an increased and more nuanced uh, sense of responsibility and sensitivity to some of the social uh, challenges that we're facing um, as a society. And, and to me, this is what a great uh, nexus and invitation for folks from all kinds of backgrounds to engage. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's very much the intent of the individual program and of our core purpose, which is to ensure that our planet and future generations thrive. And so it's not just the planet, it's future generations on that planet. Um, and so we really are attuned to, you know, both planet and people and how, how those go together in terms of how we make our giving decisions, who we give to, how we come together to give, things like that. I am writing down verbatim uh, the tag you just articulated because I love it and I love that the word thrive is in there. Excellent. Um, so by the way, one of the things we're working on for our global ambassador network at the Why on Earth community is a series of achievement badges uh, that we can award uh, to folks in our ambassador network as a way to acknowledge, recognize, and celebrate um, their accomplishments. And I'm just thinking, gosh, maybe we should create also one for the um, one percent for the planet uh, uh, giving at the individual level. It would be such a fun way to encourage folks to get involved cool. with this. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious, uh, how did one percent for the planet get started? And what were the early days like for the organization? Yeah. Well, it's now almost 20 years ago. So it's, you know, there's probably parts of it that are starting to be lore. <laughs> um, but I think it's mostly solidly factual. But we were founded in 2002. And um, the story goes that it was on the banks of the Madison River in Montana that Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia, who you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, and his friend Craig Matthews, who founded a company called Blue Ribbon Flies, which is a fly fishing company right there in that Madison River Valley. But so they were fishing, which is their favorite activity. And it was, you know, a place that is a really special fishing spot for them. And it was threatened with some development. And so they kind of had this connect the dots aha moment, realizing that their respective businesses, as well as their passion and the one of the places where a lot of their customers would use their products was threatened. And so as the business that kind of brought all those pieces together, they felt like, well, of course we should be 
you know, working and contributing to protect this place so that people can continue to enjoy a healthy outdoors and, you know, and have places to go use these outdoor products that we're creating. Um, and um, so from that conversation, you know, both of them had very been very charitably oriented anyway, but they kind of crystallized this idea that, you know, really all businesses will benefit from a planet that's healthy and thriving and also have an impact on that planet. So kind of have an obligation to make sure it stays healthy and thriving. And so they created 1% for the planet as like the movement builder to get other companies involved in, you know, making this commitment and giving. And I think, you know, I wasn't around for the early days. I, you know, I started in 2015, but I think it was, um, you know, has definitely served us well to have such fabulous founders who are, you know, charismatic and thoughtful and authentic and, you know, willing to do the work to talk to their peers. And so they built a, you know, core group of members early on and then pretty quickly kind of spun it out as its own nonprofit. Um, and, you know, we have steadily grew and had some great moments like when Jack Johnson joined the musician and he kind of took 1% for the planet on tour with him. That really created some great visibility. And then, you know, really, again, starting in, you know, around 2016, we saw a really nice uptick as we really worked to leverage that network effect and support our members to tell that great story and to just get clear on all the great values and then I would say too, you know, we, you know, so we do what we can to grow our model, but we've been supported by shifts in consumer awareness and interest. So over the past 10 years and really accelerating over just the past three years, consumers are saying loud and clear, like they want to vote with their dollars. So they want brands that are authentic in making commitments to you know, do good for the planet to address social issues, you know, to have a a legit purpose. Mm. So it's really remarkable to see those stats because they're, you know, in the 90% of would switch a brand for, you know, the, the um, company that has a purpose um, and, you know, are compelled by, it would pay more for a brand that has a purpose. So there's some really interesting and supportive statistics that kind of line up with the growth that we've seen because then businesses really can see 1% for the planet not only as the right thing to do for the planet so not just like the heart choice but it's also a good business choice increasingly and really is it speaks to what consumers are are wanting and that's awesome because we really want to have what's doing right for the planet be the right thing for business as well because then we can really move things forward yeah Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's a real win-win. I'm just sitting here imagining in the next handful of years, what if 1% of the businesses in the world were part of 1% for the planet? You know, what a yeah. tremendous change that would make. Yeah, well, you, maybe you were a fly on the wall when we were having our strategic plan conversations oh. where we landed at the most recognized environmental community because we had talked about, like, should we have some sort of numerical goal. And I do, I looked up, you know, how many <laughs> businesses are there? And uh, we decided that might be a little hard to track. So it'd sound more theoretical. Um, so for us, I will, I can say just, you know, the, the brand, that recognition um, lines up with the same sort of spirit of 1% of all companies belonging, because really the greater the awareness of 1% for the planet the more companies join and the more we're able to get giving out to those amazing nonprofits. So 
along the same lines. But yes, we, we aspire to similar similar goal. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, certainly here at the Wine Earth community, we're happy to help with that effort um, in whatever you know ways we reasonably can do so. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. I just, I love the network effect. We see that a lot in, in the work we're doing. And um, I actually spoke about that a bit in, in the book, Why on Earth, that I wrote and published a few years back. And, and to me, it's, it's one of the things that gives me great hope. Because uh, as we're engaging with friends and family and interacting with folks in our communities, whether local or virtual or both, we can spread um, good news and great opportunities. And as more and more folks get involved, as you know, you, you see all of these positive feedback loops uh, kicking in and amplifying essentially. And it, it really does give me a lot of hope. Absolutely. And I, you know, I mentioned sort of our belief that everyone has a 1%. I think another belief that shapes 1% for the planet is that, um, you know, people don't, well, I'll state it in the positive way, people change and, and invest when they see there's the potential for that to result in something happening. So people, you know, hope is motivating. You know, the sense that you can do something positive is motivating. It can be paralyzing and um, certainly depressing to, you know, feel like, oh, it's all falling apart. There's not anything I can do. So we really focus not on being, you know, not on denying that there are very, very real urgent challenges, but saying, okay, accept it as fact, what are we going to do? And what's happening out there? And what's amazing and, you know, certainly keeps me going every day is, you know, there, there are so many amazing things happening across our, our network with, you know, giving partnerships that are resulting in, you know, trees planted, pumas protected, you know, ocean plastic cleaned up, policy changes, you know, the list goes on. And you know, I am very fortunate to be surrounded by that all the time. And we really try and get that out to our network because that inspires you to do more. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. You know, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking about Yvonne Chouinard. And if I'm recalling correctly, he wrote this book called Let My People Go Fishing. Was that, was that his? Let My People Go Surfing. Oh, surfing. That's what it was. Yeah, you probably could have told the fishing story. Go, it made yeah. me think of fishing. Yeah. Let my people you go probably could have written Let My People Go Fishing because that would probably be <laughs> me too. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm so struck. You know, I know that um, Patagonia, along with others like Dr. Bronner's and the Rodale Institute, are launching now a regenerative organic certification, which is so important for the ag, agriculture, and soil and that aspect of our carbon sequestration strategies uh, worldwide. And, uh, you know, some of these leaders have already had such tremendous positive impact and are continuing to have real positive impact. And I'm wondering with the network effect, what are you seeing from the vantage point of 1% for the planet in terms of how you're helping to bring organizations and people together to catalyze new uh, innovations and efforts and campaigns? Yeah, such a great question, because that is something that really is has been wonderful to see. So, so you know, we certify 1% of sales given to environmental nonprofits, like that's the core of our model. But what we have found is that in so doing, we create a community, the network of those committed givers, those 1% members, and then we get them together and like all these other things happen that we're not certifying, we're not controlling, we're not dictating, but they're really good things that are happening. So, you know, say it's a company that starts out and, you know, they're 
kind of a cool outdoorsy brand, but essentially their environmental giving is the only like measurably sustainable thing that they're doing. Mm. But then their nonprofit partners like, hey, too much plastic. Like, why don't you sort of think about this? So, you know, they make some changes. And then, you know, the founder meets Yvonne and he's like, hey, great product, but you have a lot of plastic packaging. And so, and this is a real story. And, you know, 10 years later, they've, uh, they've, developed a new plastic for their product. They've eliminated all plastic from their packaging. Um, they, you know, are like this really sustainable carbon neutral brand. Mm. We're not, we don't have anything like officially to do with any of that other stuff beyond their giving, but so much of it was inspired by their connections within the network. So that's one company that I've described. You know, we have, 4,000 members, 3,500 to 4,000 members. Um, and all of them are influencing each other and learning from each other and doing things that we don't even know about that are amazing um, because they're in with each other and this, you know, through each other, this larger world of thinking about how they can do their business differently. So it's super powerful. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's making me think of how the mycelium networks uh, function in, in, uh, in the soil, in forest and other ecosystems where uh, information exchange is happening among all of these nodes and participants. And uh, it's so important, right? Ecologically speaking. Yeah, definitely. And it's been interesting organizationally because at times we've thought like, should we be doing more and expanding beyond our model? And you know, we always continue to ask that, but what I, you know, increasingly feel is like our model creates this amazingly strong and durable foundation that drives like real change. So we're, we feel very committed to that. But on that foundation, so many other things grow and build and we don't have to own those. We don't have to control those. Yeah. Um, you know, we're creating the conditions or connections between really awesome companies to you know, create things that are beyond what we could possibly control, even if we wanted to, or, you know, so it's really great to see in a great organizational learning. I love hearing about that because I'm also uh, struck that, you know, for those of us in uh, leadership positions, um, we have this interesting, sometimes tension and often opportunity to create the context in which others can just run and shine and do their creative work and their regenerative work and stewardship and sustainability work. And we don't have to be in control. And I think at least for me personally, in my professional pathway over the years, it has led me to a, a much more joyful and relaxed way of being day to day when I know I don't need to be in even attempt to be in control over all these things that at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to be able to control anyway. And instead to, you know, cr create connections and contexts of inspiration, essentially, where others can just run with it is, is amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think that your like ecological example is really important. because it's like, you know, either being the like broader environment or understanding your part in it creates the opportunity for other things to happen, which doesn't mean you then need to own them, but you're in relationship to them. So mm -hmm. it's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Letting go. Letting go. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. So I, I'm also really curious. So I'm, I'm doing a little math. It looks like you've been uh, at 1% for the planet 
for about five years. And in that time, your, your children who are one in, in um, early 20s, the other late teens, same, same basic ages as my kids, um, were it probably going through their high school years plus or minus. And I want to just ask you sort of a personal question as an organizational leader with all those responsibilities and commitments of your time. How has it been, um, you know, vis-a-vis being a, a mother of uh, young adult children now and, uh, you know, teenagers both uh, just a couple few years ago? Yeah. You know, I definitely put in long hours. So, you know, there were times when I would feel like, oh, you know, darn, I missed another soccer game or whatever. But you know, I think I am fortunate. I have a really close relationship with my kids and um, they are my like number one champion. So, you know, they, you know, I would come home from a long day and they would have made dinner or, um, you know, by the time they both, you know, left for college, you know, they were absolutely able to like do everything that you need to do to run a household and manage a life and manage your finances in part because, that was the way our life as a family had to work. And so I think, um, you know, I would say they were, you know, great supporters, great champions, and, you know, really proud of um, what I was doing. And, um, and it created some great opportunities for us too to sort of connect about powerful issues and, you know, read different things together and, you know, learn about different things. And so it's been a great, it's been a great ride. Yeah, it's so great to hear. And I, I'm, uh, my, my smile's probably ear to ear right now because I'm also, I'm thinking about my own children, Osha and Hunter, and, and each of them have been on a podcast episode because uh, they both have such interesting knowledge and perspective. And it's, they're at the age now where I'm learning from them as much as I might be teaching them, or probably even I'm learning more at this point than I'm teaching them. And, uh, it's such a joy and they're both on pathways uh, in service uh, to the world and to humanity. And I know uh, your children are also pursuing uh, areas of study that are in service as well. And uh, I, I want, we just tell, tell us what. Sure, what yeah. And, and, what and I, I feel like I should preface it by saying I've always felt like, you know, if they, you know, the the best outcome is for each of the kids to be doing what is exactly their right thing. So if it's to be the best belly dancer in the world, like beautiful, like that's absolutely right. Um, my daughter, who's the older one is, um, is just a, like one of the smartest people I know. And she has pretty much found her passion in Arctic science. So she's really interested in climate change and is interested in doing field research on sort of the impacts in the, in Arctic region and polar regions. So super interesting. And, you know, I have to have her translate some of her like scientific essays for me so I can understand all of what she's talking about, but I'm so glad that she's going to be going out in the world. And then my son is just kind of getting started more as a, um, in his college career, but is interested in environmental science. And I feel like I want to say, I promise I didn't like voice that on them, but I also will say I'm really, you know, honored that they have learned and developed their sort of lens for expressing the way they want to commit to, you know, offering their, their smarts to, to do good in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And, uh, just got to give a shout out since, um, your daughter's pursuing the, uh, the polar, uh, regions that Julian Strobe, a friend and, uh, one of the most cited climate scientists was on a recent podcast episode talking about what's going on, um, at the North Pole in particular, but also the, the cryosphere, the frozen regions uh, throughout the world, 
from a climate perspective. And uh, for folks who want to dive deeper on that, it's a really good conversation because um, clearly there's a lot going on in regions of the planet that most of us don't visit and, and probably aren't going to. And to hear from folks who are spending time there and are studying those places, I think is, is one of the ways we all become more informed. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So quick shout out to Julian and, and to everyone working on the, the snow and ice issues that we're facing right now. And I'd also just a quick shout out to um, like getting out there and falling in love with the outdoors, just yeah. to say that for our family, that was such a key part of how we grew up together was, you know, paddling trips in Northern Maine. And, um, you know, we live in a pretty rural area and um, my son and daughter and I had a chance to travel some in Patagonia and my daughter and I last year went to uh, the Southern Patagonian ice field. Um, and just, you know, those times outdoors, like remembering and connecting to the source of, you know, the just sort of beauty and wildness that for me are so important to stay connected to um, that really fuel my sort of energy and, and, and in our family, again, have sort of connected us all around, like, you know, what it is that we're fighting for. So, um, so just shout out to the planet. Shout out to the planet. Yeah, the sort. I love that. I absolutely love that. I want to ask you about um, where you're living. You referred to it as as the Shire earlier today. And uh, before doing that, let me just remind our audience that this is the Why on Earth Com Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Perry, and today we're speaking with Kate Williams, the CEO of One Percent for the Planet. And I'm going to give a few shout outs here to a number of our partners and sponsors who are making this podcast series possible along with uh, the rest of our community mobilization work through the Why on Earth platform. And uh, these sponsors and partners include, of course, 1% for the Planet, uh, Earth Coast Productions, the Lidge Family Foundation, Alpine Botanicals, Purium, Earth Hero, Vera Herbals, Growing Spaces, Soilworks, Earth Water Press, Dr. Bronner's and Wele Waters. And uh, similar to this opportunity to join at the individual level, um, the 1% for the planet movement, uh, we also have uh, individual donors who have joined our monthly giving program. And thank you for, uh, to all of you for that generous uh, support of what we're doing. And for folks who join at certain levels, uh, you can sign up to receive monthly shipments of the Wele Waters uh, CBD hemp-infused aromatherapy soaking salts, which are really great for self-care uh, and perhaps for maybe a little bit of soreness after a big long hike out in the wilderness or whatever it might be. Um, so a huge thanks to everyone making all this possible. And uh, yeah, you know, Kate, I I am so struck by the importance of, and, and this will eventually lead us to asking you about the Shire, but I'm struck by the importance of that personal connection with the living planet. And it's obvious to many of us that in this day and age, uh, with such an urbanized and uh, technological way of life for so many of us, that, uh, that there's a whole bunch of us humans who don't really have that direct experience or haven't yet cultivated that. And one of the things I think a lot about and uh, hope we all can help uh, create an inculcate going forward is opportunities for more and more of us and perhaps even most of us to have 
more of that direct experience with the natural living world, the wilderness, the ocean, etc. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about how we might do more of that as a society? It's such a, such a great question. And I think, um, but, you know, I've thought about that a lot because, you know, during this period of COVID when we've, you know, all been sort of isolated more, you know, where I happen to be isolated is at my home, which is at the dead end of a dirt road in Vermont. And so, uh, you know, a kind of interesting gift of this hard time is that I've, you know, seen now sort of a couple season changes, um, you know, in a much more intimate way than when I'm leaving home to go to work every day. And, you know, I'm walking in the same woods every day. And, you know, so I've just reflected on feeling really grateful for that, but also being aware that I have, like, it is a truly a gift that I, you know, that not everyone has access to. And, and what I've realized is that for me, what is um, compelling about it, like, while I love those big mountain experiences, and, you know, that happens to be something that I personally, like, if I were given the opportunity to travel, I'd choose like a rocky, snowy mountain over a beach. So that's just me. But really what, you know, what my, what fuels my sort of passion for the planet and sort of keeps me going is the kind of intimate spaces, you know, the noticing the one tree that's right outside my window and sort of, uh, you know, understanding how that changes and which birds kind of come in and out of it. And so all of that sort of, you know, leads me to think into your question that, you know, what's so important is um, providing those intimate connections for everyone, which, because they can happen in, in more crowded urban places. And, you know, there have been many people who have sort of written and expressed that. And I just think that's so important. And I will say the nonprofits in our network that are doing such great work on that are those that are, you know, focused on school gardens and community gardens and, you know, giving that opportunity for people to get their hands in the dirt right outside their apartments. Um, you know, organizations that are working on city parks and open spaces, um, which is, you know, so important just again, because it doesn't need to be a vast wilderness for you to have a tree that you can fall in love with. Um, but it does need to be, you know, creating some real green space as small as it may be. So I think that's a really, really important thing. And particularly when we want to, you know, think about it, when I think about our, our mission statement, our, our purpose of, um, you know, ensuring a, a future, ensuring that our planet and future generations thrive, um, you know, that needs to be accessible to all people. Um, and so thriving does not mean that just some people thrive other people don't have access to thriving so it really has to you know be accessible and equitable for all people and so it, it creates just some really interesting uh ways of thinking about the environment and the environmental movement because it's not just about those big mountains out there even though we need those wild places um, but it's all the intimate close to home spaces absolutely you know and, and one of the things that um has really struck me in the, in the research and writing I've done over the last handful of years is the importance for our own health and well-being psychologically and even in terms of our immune system and cognitive function of that direct connection with soil and to see living, growing plants. And um, I, I, I am, of course, I love the wilderness regions, but I'm also really excited about the opportunities in front of us in the urban and the suburban environments to effectively permaculture and 
forest and reforest and grow and and work with those amazing biological forces that that make our planet the living planet that it is and uh, my sense is that if we do a good job in the next you know several years in the in the urban uh, landscapes it might result in all of the other uh, important priorities sort of falling in line because ultimately it will be a way for us to uh, connect and, and reach millions of people and, and help establish those kinds of relationships, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, because we, you know, we're human organisms um, in the ecosystem that is our planet. And, you know, we have a lot of different spaces that we live in and we, you know, a lot of different ways that we, you know, find ourselves existing on the planet. But we, you know, we are, we're, I do not feel that we are separate from the earth, even though a lot of our living structures separate us. But we, you know, I think that connection is, is always there for us because we are part of, we are a living organism breathing in and out um, and essentially, you know, exchanging cells with the earth every day. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so true. Well, let me just um, throw out there for our audience that they can engage with 1% for the Planet uh, via the website, which is 1%fortheplanet.org. It's all spelled out. Um, folks can connect with you also, Kate, via LinkedIn, and I'll include the um, LinkedIn uh, handle uh, in the show notes. It's katewilliams87. And then Instagram is 1% FTP, and it's the number 1% FTP. Facebook is 1% for the planet, uh, the number one, and then percent for the planet are spelled out. Twitter, uh, 1% FTP, same as the Instagram pattern. Um, and then on, in LinkedIn, there's also a 1% for the planet uh, company profile. We'll have all these links in the show notes, but I just want to make sure folks uh, hear uh, ways they can engage. And uh, it's, it's so great. And, and, and hearing a little bit of, of you describing a little bit your, your home in Vermont, and you refer to it as the Shire. Um, what does that mean? What's, describe that for us. Because I, I love New England, but I'm, you know, out in Colorado. Uh, what's happening right now in the Shire? Yeah, well, we kind of half jokingly refer to it as that, but it also has a little bit of that feel. So it's, um, I live in a, you know, small town with sort of you know, kind of rolling hills that roll up into the Green Mountains, which, you know, would be foothills by Colorado standards, but are the sort of old mountains that have, you know, been othered down here. And, you know, we it's a very uh, agricultural community set in the mountains. So, you know, just from a look and feel for any of you who read and created your vision of the Hobbit Shire, or those of you who saw the movie, there is, you know, that similarity there. But I think also, you know, probably more... Um, kind of fundamentally or thoughtfully part of that is that that because of how rural this is and because of the you know extremes of weather that we face here you know it can rain a lot it can be icy instead of snowy you know it's not always pleasant but when it's beautiful it's like heartbreakingly beautiful and Mm. so there's just a really really deep connection to the land like this is an agricultural community people you know, made this community by living off the land. And and it continues to be a very much a part of shaping who we are. And I feel grateful for that because there is a, you know, you know, it isn't distant from us to understand that like we're eating food grown on, you know, from this soil. And so when there's, you know, conversation about organic, it's not that 
well, the, if it's not organic, it's some field that's far away from our house. It's like, well, no, if, it, if they're using fertilizer, it's going into the river that our kids swim in. And it's, you know, so you can connect some of the dots that I don't think we are always able to connect in our more sort of distant food systems, for example. And there's power in that. Um, and, you know, so I think that it creates this strong sense of connection to place, which I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It creates a beautiful image. I, boy, to say something is heartbreakingly beautiful. What a, what a turn of phrase, my goodness. Um, we spoke about how individuals can engage, uh, and become, uh, part of the 1% for the planet community. And I also want to make sure we talk about, uh, two great campaigns that you guys are uh, working with in the next few months. And then want to do a little foreshadowing for, you know, what lies ahead in 2021, which is in part, I know, a response to what's going on with the uh, COVID situation. So I want to ask you about both the, uh, the B 1% Better campaign and the end of your challenge grant. Can you tell us what those are and, and how folks can get involved? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking earlier about the, this idea of the network effect that when you have like this amazing global network, there's the opportunity to, you know, just ripple out in, in ways that are beyond any single entity's control, you know, stories and messages and energy. And so the B1% uh, Better campaign is really intended to build on that. And it's, it's, we've set it up as this idea that the verb be can be swapped in for a bunch of different verbs. So, uh, you know, a company that's a beer company can have, you know, drink 1% better, mm. um, shop 1% better could be sort of a broader message. Um, you know, clothe yourself 1% better, vote 1% better. You know, there's any number of ways that people can sort of take on this idea and it essentially encapsulates or encapsulates or makes active this idea that everyone has a 1%. So, um, and, and sort of moves it into that more figurative realm. So it's building on our model, you know, it's, the model is giving 1% of sales or, you know, giving your, your resources to the planet. And this is broadening the definition of resources. So you can be 1% better in a bunch of different ways. So that campaign has been going, you know, throughout the summer and we really set it up and equip our members to be able to, to you know, make it their own story and, and help to share that larger story. The end of your challenge grant is, you know, similarly, uh, um, you know, kind of building on that network idea. So we have a donor and then our whole board who's, who came together, the donor 50,000, our board put in $50,000, which is awesome. We're so grateful to both of them. And their challenge to our community is to match that with either new or increased um, giving. And the way 1% for the planet as an organization works is that part of our funding every year comes from donors who say, hey, we believe in the work that you do to engage members, to build this great network, to tell, help tell their story, to vet the nonprofit partners. You know, we know your staff works hard to do that work to get more dollars out to nonprofits on the ground. So we want to support you. Mm -hmm. So this challenge grant is a way to, you know, engage that network of donors um, who are helping us to, you know, build this powerful engine um, and, um, and to engage them in driving more giving. So it's, it's a really exciting time and you can give 1% better, you know, that's how we can connect the two of them. Um, but yeah, we're really, we're really psyched about both of them. That's really wonderful. So if, if say, if I were to join as an individual, 
1%, would I also be able to participate in the challenge grant? Is it, is it, do those link? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, yes. So you, as an individual member, you get to choose where you want to direct your giving. And so you could, you know, if you were, had never been an individual member before and you joined at the end of the year and you're like, you know, this year I want my money to go to one percent for the planet next year i might give it to my local community garden but you know so if and so then in that first year of giving so if you gave before the end of this year it would count towards our our challenge grant so yes one thing i will clarify without getting too nitty-gritty is you don't have to be an individual member to donate to one percent for the planet so you know we do have some just like straight up traditional nonprofit donors um and then we also have individual members who choose to donate all or part of their giving to us. But then most of our individual members are sort of using, you know, working with us through what our model exists to do, which is to create a sort of home space for them from which they then are giving to our environmental nonprofits and driving that direct impact on the ground. That's a great clarification. Thank you. I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yep. So I also know that um, you guys have some really interesting things in the works for next year. And uh, this is in part a response to uh, some of the changes we've seen this year with COVID. Can you, without, I, I understand we won't necessarily get all the details, but can you give us an idea of, of what's, uh, what's coming? Yeah, and I'm sure we're, we're right in lockstep with so many other organizations and companies who are like, hmm, what will next year hold? How do we plan for that? Um, you know, basically our assumption is that at least a good part of the year, if not most of the year, will be continue to be mostly virtual engagement. So um, we feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, just solidify our position as a kind of virtual convener. Um, and it, in many ways, it actually fits us really well because we are this global community and we love to get together in person, but then that's serving more sort of regional groups usually. So, you know, we're, we want to just jump right into having a, a really robust virtual strategy with, you know, some webinar panels, um, you know, opportunities for to like uh, members of our network to provide content that we can help share. So just a lot of ways that people can, you know, have those peer-to-peer connections and peer-to-peer learning opportunities across our network, which we spoke about earlier, are such a powerful way that beyond the 1% giving, people are learning and growing and doing new things. Mm-hmm. Um, so to create those um, virtually. We will also be relaunching our individual member program with some um, sort of uh, refined aspects to it, which we're really psyched about. Um, it will you know, continue to have that customized, you choose where you give with our support, but we're also gonna create you know, a way that you can give into kind of pooled portfolio um, where we'll identify the nonprofits and that will just create this nice, simple, powerful way to give. Um, and then you know, probably even some more things that we're still developing because as I, as I speak, we are doing our work planning, but I hope that gives a little tip of the hand of some of the great things we'll be doing. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um... I'm excited to see how that proceeds and, and how that can further activate and catalyze change and action in, in communities all over in, in these growing relationships. Likewise. Well, Kate, I'm, I'm so happy we had this opportunity to visit with you today and uh, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to connect with us at the Why on Earth community. And I uh, just want to invite you before we sign off for now, 
Uh, if there's anything else you'd like to share or say to us, um, it would be great to hear. I guess I would just go back to what our conversation about hope and, uh, it, you know, there's a lot going on in the world and in the United States right now that can make it hard to sort of stay hopeful, hard to stay engaged. And I would just, you know, say that my hope of us is that we can stay connected to those really positive things that are happening out there and have those fuel our ability to continue to take action and create the world that, that we know is out there. Um, and that we know can be this thriving, thriving planet and people. So um, stay hopeful. Love it. That's so great. Stay hopeful. Well, thanks so much, Kate. It's great visiting with you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WhyOnEarth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.